so with that, Dylan, let's give a big round of applause for Dylan and uh, be great All right, can we hear? The PA on? Is that working? Can you hear me? Yes? You can hear me. Good. Can everyone hear me? Okay. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate you guys coming out today. Um, I, it's really a, a great opportunity. I, I'm very appreciative of Product Hive inviting me to come speak to you guys. Uh, I'm a bit nerve-wracked a little bit. Uh, these are bigger groups. I thrive in smaller groups. Big groups like this, I kind of get awkward. Uh, so as more people enter, yep, I get more awkward as more people come in. Yep. <laughs> Um, I'm really glad you guys could come out. Uh, hopefully this is uh, of some value to you guys. Uh, I'm excited about this presentation. Speaking about mobile is a passion of mine. I've been doing it for the better part of five years. And uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that I've learned over the course of the years that I hope to share with you guys today. Uh, I've made time for kind of a longer Q&A session at the end because this, the topic we're speaking on today is very specific. Um, Hopefully you guys throughout the course of this presentation, you come up with a few questions that you want to ask. Please prepare those questions, save those questions, because uh, I want to have a good conversation at the end. This, this topic makes for a better conversation than it does me just speaking at you. So uh, with that, I'm going to give you a little bit of introduction about myself. I think there's a clicker around here. No, maybe. Nope. Clicker help? No. Maybe we're just clicking through like this. That's my family. Uh, my wife and I met. We met up at uh, BYU Idaho uh, about eight years ago. She was a uh, fine arts major. I was a marketing major. Uh, we got married. We have two boys. My older son, his name is Jameson. He's our five-year-old. And my three-year-old, his name is Sawyer. I come from a family of boys. I've got six brothers. Uh, there's seven of us boys all together. I've got 15 nephews. Uh, so the Winspear male gene is very strong. Uh, a lot of testosterone in this family. However, with that said, we were blessed seven months ago with this little joy. That's the awe moment. Aww. This is our, our daughter, Hadley. Uh, she has been kind of the light of our life for the last seven months. Uh, bringing continual happiness and everything else that's good about life uh, into our home. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, my background, where I started. Uh, after, well, let me start here. When I was at school, I worked uh, in the testing center, right? Campus job, low paying. Uh, I guess I worked at the testing center at a BYU campus. Imagine this beard turning you away from taking a test at BYU, right? Um, it, was, it was fine, but when I got married, I realized that that wasn't uh, my future. The testing center does not uh, progress my career any further, and I knew I needed to prove my father-in-law wrong, and I could do this, and I wouldn't put his daughter on the streets. And uh, I started looking for a position that could uh, continue to progress my career. Like I said, I was studying marketing at the time, and... Uh, wanted to get into something that I could kind of excel in. Uh, there's not a whole lot of options up in Rexburg, and I had a neighbor at that time. She was looking to graduate pretty close, and she was working for a startup called Get Found First. It was an internet marketing agency. Uh, she was doing the bookkeeping for them, and I said, oh, it's kind of in the business field. I've taken a couple accounting classes. Sure, I could do bookkeeping for a startup. It doesn't sound too hard. Um, I interviewed. She put in a good word for me. Uh, a week later, they gave me a call back, and they said, Dylan, uh, we've given the job to somebody else. So that one did not work out for me. Instead, they proposed a new opportunity, which I was able to work uh, doing some business development for them. Over the course of the next year, I was putting together internet marketing strategies uh, for dozens of clients that they were continually pulling in. Those strategies included uh, you know, everything from SEO to PPC, landing page design and development, uh, testing, whatnot. Uh, it was a good experience for me, uh, but what I learned over the course of that year that progressed that regardless of some of the strategies that we were putting together, a lot of them just would not succeed regardless of what we were doing for them. And primarily because the, the brands that, they were, that we were advertising for just weren't very strong or, you know, frankly, the websites just sucked altogether. 
so regardless of the amount of traffic we throw at it, it's not going to work. Uh, I was able to take off my business development hat, throw on the design hat, which I always had a passion for, and start doing more design work for this startup. It uh, led me to go back to school, get uh, a degree in uh, web and graphic design, and after graduation, I took my first uh, career opportunity for another startup uh, called Elevati. And Elevati has, I don't want to say they still own, they owned at the time adoption.com, adoption.org, uh, and a dozen other adoption-based uh, platforms. There I worked uh, as kind of the creative lead, uh, as well as some of the social media aspects of what uh, we were doing there. Uh, and it was a good opportunity for me to sharpen my teeth on just uh, general branding and experience growth uh, in general. It was the first opportunity that I've had to take internet marketing skills and blend it with design skills. Uh, that was really my introduction to user experience in general. Bef before user experience was really even called user experience design. Uh, I was taking the concepts and principles of internet marketing, you know, A-B testing, uh, user research, and I was applying them to design and kind of, I guess, I don't want to say paving my path because that's not really what I was doing. I was just like fumbling down the road here, uh, trying to learn as I was going. Uh, it was a good experience. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was great. Adoption.com was a huge website. It was a 4 million page website. Uh, and we rebranded that thing from top to bottom and added a handful of features to the platform itself. Uh, unfortunately, that startup, it was fun, but 10 months of winter in Idaho was too much for my wife. We had to leave. We came down here to Utah. It's ironic I say that today when it's like snowing in the middle of April. <laughs> um, but we came down here to Utah and I took another job at the third startup I was a part of. And this one was called Plus 11. There I led the creative team where we put a couple dozen apps on both the iOS and the Android app store. Uh, these apps were based on kind of niche communities. Uh, we did apps for uh, fishing, we did apps for hunting, we did apps for truck and motorcycle enthusiasts. Uh, we even did an app for cat lovers, right? Cat lovers in the room? No cat lovers? One cat lover, two cat lovers, three, okay, here we go, a couple of them. Nobody else wants to raise their hand, that's fine. Um, it was a fun experience, uh, but as startups sometimes go, it shut down unexpectedly one day, and uh, learned some important lessons there with business, but uh, I was able to ultimately find myself working at Domo, where I'm currently at. Um, Domo has been a, another good experience to continue to grow in skill set. They've got a huge web platform, and over the course of the last few years, they've been taking that web platform and putting it on the mobile uh, platforms. Uh, we developed for both the iOS and the Android apps, trying to take that functionality from web and bring it to uh, mobile functionality. Uh, outside of the full-time work, I've also done some freelance work that's kept me busy for the last seven years. Uh, I've been able to help quite a few different companies. Uh, this was fun for me to put together just to kind of reflect over the last few years uh, some of the things that I've been able to do. If you're looking up on this board, there's some logos you probably don't recognize, but there might be a few. There's new skin up there. I got to do an augmented reality app from new skin. Uh, see that one, Catastic? That was our cat app. What an awesome name, right? Um, and then there's some other fun ones. Down in the bottom left corner, I don't know why I buried this. Yes, I do. The Incredible one. Anybody heard of Incredible? No, anyone heard of Nick Cannon? A couple of guys. He's the host of like uh, Wild and Out. He does, uh, he used to do America's Got Talent. Uh, I was able to work with him on a couple different apps. Uh, able to meet with him, go out to lunch with him. He's an interesting character, and uh, we were able to do some fun things with him as well. Uh, again, good experiences in bringing UX uh, to the mobile platform. Now, what you guys are here for today, um, my hope is that we've got a few designers in here uh, who work for employers with a mobile strategy. Who in here, by raise of hands, does that apply to? A handful of you guys. Okay, how about the rest of you who didn't raise your hand? Where are you at? A couple of hands. Nobody's raising their hand. This is product time. We're a big family. It's okay. Raise your hand. Who's here because you're not a designer? You don't have a mobile strategy. Who's? Raise your hand. What are you guys here for? Just familiarity with the subject. Subject matter. Cool. Just 
looking for insights. Cool. If there should be a mobile strategy exploring it, that's awesome. I appreciate that. There's another one. You know you should have a mobile strategy and you're starting to explore it. Cool. Like basically ammunition for pushing that one. Oh, jeez. It's on your ammunition. Whoops. It's not my mistake. That's your mistake. Um, well, cool. I, I wouldn't have been offended if you guys just said free food and Friday uh, escape from work. That too. Did somebody say that? Cool. Um, who here is an Android user? Raise a hand. Android users, woo! Cool, Android for the win, right? Cool, who here is an iOS user? Oh, a few more of you guys. Android and iOS for the win, woo! <laughs> um, I, <laughs> this is a tangent. My brother used to sell for Cutco knives. You guys familiar with Cutco? Okay, so in his, sale, in his sales pitch, he used to offer you know the, the handles that were white and black. He'd always ask them, do you prefer the ivory or the ebony handles? Regardless of the response, he said, yeah, me too. You know? <laughs> that's how I feel when I talk about, yeah, me too, I like Android. No, I love iOS. You know? It's the same thing, whatever. Um, my second hope of you guys coming here today uh, is that you've considered both platforms. Even if you don't have the strategy yet, you're considering both platforms. You're understanding how they ebb and flow. How are they the same? How are they different? Uh, and it's okay for them to be the same in some aspects and different in other aspects. Uh, before we get in too much, I want to first kind of point out a couple asterisks uh, to this presentation. Um, I have had the opportunity to always be working with specific iOS and Android development teams. I know that isn't applicable to everyone in this room, uh, I know some of you may have you know, one development team where you design once and deploy twice. Uh, that hasn't been my background, uh, only because at the time when we were needing those types of things, the tools that allowed you to do that just weren't very well built. Uh, they've come a long ways. Uh, you know, Facebook, for example, uses a lot of React as they build their stuff. And uh, like I said, it's come a long ways, and I don't knock it. I've always just had access to both iOS and Android teams. So from this presentation, find what's applicable for you there. Um, Additionally, you know, there's a, a couple things that I need to share that are just going to be my opinion. And for better or worse, uh, it's, it's from my experience, my past, and it's my opinion. If you don't like it, well, you showed up. So uh, if you don't like it, feel free to walk out and I'll just, I'll take no offense. Uh, and then lastly, for the sake of time, we're only going to be looking at uh, some iOS examples. I've got a lot of examples packed in this presentation. But that isn't ignoring the Android platform. I'll only mention a couple of the Android things as they become applicable. So with that, let's jump into some of these topics. The first thing I want to point at is when does it make sense to brand something? When does it make sense to go custom? And when does it just flat out make sense to do something native and kind of skip that whole process of uh, looking at uh, custom and whatnot? Uh, the artist in you, how many of you guys come from an artist background. Cool. Uh, the artist in you might be screaming, you know, to be different, uh, to allow your creativity to flow. Uh, the problem solver in you might be looking at other ways that the problems have already been answered, right? There's multiple ways that you can look at this. Uh, ultimately, your developers, they're just hoping you're not insane because whatever you end up doing, they're the ones who have to pay the price for it, right? Um, there's a time and place to be unique. Uh, there's also a time and place to just fall in line and, uh, and follow paradigms and patterns that have already been created. Uh, so to get into this topic, I want to play a little game, and it's to see if we can spot some of the differences between what is native and what is custom. Anybody remember this TV show? Yeah. <laughs> this is the best. Um, the purpose of this little activity is to understand flexibility of some of the native designs, and then we're going to point out some of the custom pieces that, uh, that have reason to be custom. There's, there's a rhyme and reason that the, the, the apps decided to go custom. So for our first example, we're going to take a look at Meetup. How many you know, clicked the going button on the Meetup app sometime in the last week? So you've used the app. Let's take a peek at uh, the home screen here. Specifically calling attention to the header and the tab bar at the bottom. What do we think? Is this a native or is this a custom built app? 
specifically looking at those two pieces. It's not all or one or, or the other. Native or custom? Come on, family. <laughs> custom here, a couple natives, right? Um, how about if I throw this up? Does this make it any easier to understand? We throw a search bar in there. Oh, that contrast is great. You can't see that contrast very well. But if we throw a search bar in there, does that solidify your answer? Maybe some of you switch. What if you were to tap on one of those items and then swipe to go back? Does this solidify your answer? I would guess that this is a native built app. Why would, meet, or, yeah, why would Meetup decide to build something native as opposed to blowing out something completely custom? I would guess, I would venture to guess that it's just for the sake of simplicity. There's no real reason for them to differentiate. Uh, the tab bar at the bottom, it doesn't have labels, but you can easily take out the labels of a na native tab, tab bar um, if that makes it feel cleaner. Uh, but there's flexibility in that. Has anybody heard of this app? Where's my meditation friends at? Calm. This is an app that I use quite regularly. Uh, it's a meditation app. Helps you get you. Helps to get me into like the Zen mode. Um, it's a pretty cool design app. You know, when you log in, you get this cool background scenery. It's actually a live video, so you get kind of like this ripple effect. Uh, not live. It's not like this is actually set up in some mountain range. But it's like this cool video. You get the ripples in the water. You hear the birds. You hear the water. Uh, it's really neat. This tab bar at the bottom, native or custom? Native? I would agree with you there. As you tap through the other tabs, uh, you'll also, I guess, get a better aesthetic for why it's native. Another example, Venmo. Venmo users in here? Okay. How about this header? We're going to get the, a little bit trickier now. The header here, is this native or custom? Custom? Who said custom and is confident in custom? Nobody. <laughs> you guys are awesome. It's not something that you see in a lot of apps. It's part of the top, so it feels custom to me. Yeah, that's, that segmented controller is kind of that three-tabbed piece at the top. That's a pretty native component. You had a comment here? So when you're saying native, is it like using the UI components of like the hardware that you're using? Uh, na uh, controls that are native to the iOS platform. Yeah. Yeah. It's using UI kit and Xcode. Yep. So it's not like just just reorganizing components. Yep. This is custom. You think this is custom? And why is that? Um, I don't think there's a like top navigation bars. With a segmented controller in there? I think there might be a way to hack it, but it's definitely a hack, right? <laughs> Or is it a native control that's been customized? I mean, this is the gray area, right? <laughs> Your developers are going to scream that that's native uh, because they don't have to build this from scratch. They can uh, utilize a native control. However, you tap on this hamburger icon, and now what happens here? You get a left navigation that pops out. Is that native or custom? Yeah, that's, not built in. that's not built in, right? So what is going to happen here? I would venture to guess that they're using a native header They've stuck a segmented controller in the header that might be kind of a hack or a workaround. They've put their own custom hamburger icon in the top left, but that's still the flexibility of a native control. Now you tap on that hamburger icon and you get this left navigation. Now we get into some more custom animation. And I think at that point in time, you get this hybrid. You get a blend between back and forth. Amazon. Who uses the Amazon app? This one might be a little bit easier. What do we think here? How about that header? Custom. This has got to be full-blown custom. Uh, why does it make sense for Amazon to go custom on this? Any guesses? As I pull up that search, does that make it any clearer? How many people go to Amazon and they don't use the search? Does anyone ever do that? <laughs> don't even lie. No, you don't. <laughs> I know, Adam, so I can't call him a liar. <laughs> um, you browse? Maybe on their <laughs> Okay, cool. I can dig that. Uh, but I think inside of the bell curve, can we say we use the search? That search experience is pivotal to the Amazon experience. So does it make sense for them to put it front and center? 
Does it make sense for them to do some custom things in there, like look at your recent search results? Um, I will point out, though, that as you tap on a result uh, and you transition back, you can see this transition screen that's on the far right. It looks almost like that's a native transition back. So this is, again, this is a, a solid, I don't want to call it hack, but they're blending native and custom, uh, keeping a custom header and doing something pretty native as far as the transitioning back and forth. The reason I pull out these examples is understanding the flexibility, again, of what native can do and understanding when it makes sense to go custom. The trade-offs that you make when you decide to go uh, native or custom are, are the piece that I really want to drive home today. Uh, this is kind of the, the main takeaway is what you need to consider when you're trying to decide does it make sense to go native or to go custom. The first trade-off that I want you to consider is time to market. Depending on the company you work for, time is uh, a piece that is going to get heavily debated, right? Uh, do we need to get this out ASAP? Do we have the time to really nail it and then scale it? Um, on top of the, the standard dev time it's going to take to do whatever design it is that you're considering, what additional design time is it going to take in order to get this design that you've, you've mocked up into the, the real world? Additional design time is something that you need to consider as a trade-off as you're looking at these mocks. Scalability. Um, when you implement these custom controls, or let's say you go native controls, how do they scale? What happens when you need to add something to that list? What happens when you want to add six more items to this list? Um, what happens when down the road you decide you need to change your mind and just tweak it all together? Uh, how this item scales is something that should be considered. Additionally, what happens to these designs as you go to iPad? Does it natively take care of itself, or do you have to design a custom experience for the iPad as well? Um, that's a trade-off that you need to consider. Upkeep is another one that uh, developers are, I, I wouldn't say fearful of, but that's kind of where they're starting to go, you make us do something custom. How do we know what happens next? When the iPhone X comes out, for example, what are we going to have to do to tweak the app to accommodate both the 8 and 8 Plus and the new iPhone X? Uh, who here has got an iPhone X for the sake of conversation? A couple of you guys. Uh, you use Google Apps on your iPhone? Do you still have the black bars on the top and bottom? Not anymore. Not so much anymore. Some of them they fixed. Well, the Google Analytics app, for example, still has the black bar on the top and the bottom just because they haven't gotten around to fixing the app to now accommodate the iPhone X size. Uh, that's one of these upkeep pieces that uh, is just going to take additional time and efforts. And if your developers are strapped for time, upkeep be, might be something that you want to avoid. Um, what happens when the new iOS 12 comes out, for example? Does the aesthetic change? Do you need to modify your design because the operating system is up, updated? Usability. Uh, is changing the known paradigm going to improve the user experience? Sticking to known paradigms and patterns could have its benefits, but I'm not saying that, that is the end-all be-all of user experience. You could absolutely design something that is a better experience. You need to understand and recognize, is what we're changing going to improve the user experience? Uh, is going to go custom, is that going to work and function better than what's already been tested? For example, um, Let's look at segmented controllers. We saw that in the Venmo app. Uh, that's a, it's a great utility if you're trying to switch between tabs. It's been tried and tested for the better part of 10 years. They've really squashed all the bugs that could come up with those segmented controllers. Does it make sense to change from that or use it? Because whatever you might develop might come with bugs and might come with uh, usability issues. And lastly, I'm going to throw in KPI effects. Because ultimately, if you're a designer, you're being graded on uh, different key performance uh, indicators, whether it's in-app time, retention, invite sent, or something like that, is what you're designing going to have an impact on these KPIs? Uh, these are the five criteria that I think are the most important in understanding when does it make sense to go custom, when does it make sense to go native, when does it make sense to really drive in a brand concept, uh, or pull it back a little bit for the sake of known paradigms.
I'm going to give you some examples um, from what I've been working on over the last couple years at Domo. Um, these are examples of both successes and failures, because not all of them have we, have we really nailed. I want to give you the first example here. A cake bar. This is something that uh, our iOS users have, have uh, coined. Uh, Android users call it a snack bar. I'm familiar with calling it a snack bar. But our iOS developers don't want to design something that was meant for Android, so they changed the name and called it a cake bar. And that's just fine. Let's look at this example right here. Pop up. There we go. This is our home screen on Domo. Uh, it's a, a tiled experience that will bring you to certain pieces of the app that are going to give you information, right? Somewhere down the user path, we want our users to understand that you can press and hold on any of these tiles. You can rearrange it. You can reorder it. One thing that would have been very easy to do is stick an alert in there that says press and hold to reorder your tiles with an OK button. Uh, very easy for developers, right? You stick an alert view in there, and it's done. Enter some text, and we can call it. Um, what are the trade-offs to it? How does, this, how does this scale? How does this affect key performance indicators? Uh, I would say it, it negatively affects those key performance indicators, and I think it negatively affects the usability of the app in the sake of, what do you guys do when you see something like this? Do you ever read it? Seldom, right? Yeah, exactly. When do you typically see something like this? At the beginning, when maybe the app is trying to access some permissions on your phone. Uh, say that again? After an update, sure. So I think a lot of the time, users are familiar with seeing something like this when the operating system is trying to communicate with the user, not necessarily when the app is trying to communicate with the user. So we opted to go with something a little bit different. This is our cake bar. Uh, it's a little snack bar-like effect at the bottom of the screen that animates in, stays on your screen for just a moment, doesn't demand any attention, and animates off. Uh, now, there's pros and cons to doing something like this, right? Uh, as far as development time, this one only took an extra sprint. Um, but as we're designing something like this, uh, we developed a framework that we can use this for not only the home screen, but we can use this on multiple other screens as part of our guided experience. So pre-action, we could show something like this, press and hold to reorder your tiles. Uh, we can also show up post-action as a confirmation message or a, uh, an oops opportunity. Let's say you did something you didn't mean to do and there's an undo button on it. Uh, these cake bars allow that flexibility and we deemed, uh, in comparison to those trade-offs, that this was uh, something worth our time to invest in. Tabs. I've kind of talked about this one a little bit, and we saw something similar to this on Venmo. But uh, what we're looking at right now is our people screen. Our people screen is kind of like a, a Rolodex of employees at Domo. So you've got access to everyone's information, so you can contact them and get in touch with them. At the top, we've broken into all the employees. Uh, we've also got teams set up, and we've got groups, you know, a combination of teams, right? This could work. Uh, absolutely could work. Again, for developers, this is a rather easy thing to do. You set a segmented controller at the top, differentiate what those three views are, and we're done. However, my biggest concern with this is how does it scale? What happens when you've got a fourth piece that you need to put in there? Right? Segmented controllers will allow you for a fourth piece, but what happens to the text inside of those pieces? Uh, what happens when you localize that text into German, and now all of a sudden that text is twice the length of what it currently is, and it has to start shrinking the text, or it wraps the text, or some, it starts to do something funky that aesthetically you just don't want it to see it do. We designed our own tab experience. It allowed the opportunity for a user to, uh, from the usability sake or sense, I don't think people were confused upon what to do on this screen. I think they understand what tab they're on. Allows them to switch between the tabs pretty easily. Uh, but it also scales for us. If you want to put a fourth tab in there or a fifth tab in there, we now have the opportunity to kind of swipe between multiple tabs uh, and really see uh, the growth and the, the scalability benefits to it. Here's another one, an action sheet. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with uh, places where this gets overused. 
You're looking right now at our Buzz feature on Domo. Buzz is very similar to Slack. Uh, it's a kind of inner company communication tool. Um, you're not looking at anything. Now you're looking at it. This is our Buzz feature, our communication tool, and everything I just said. Um, what you can do at any point in time when you're looking at this conversation is you can press and hold on one of these chat bubbles, and you've got actions that you can take off of it. Uh, you could create a thread from it. You could favor the message, quote reply, copy the text, edit the message, delete the message. Uh, but as we've seen over the last couple of years is the lists of things that you can do with any message continue to grow. And we started adding one after another, after another, after another. At some point, we started to wonder, like, okay, are we adding too many actions to this? But understanding some of the business needs, understanding some of uh, this experience in uh, quickly creating different uh, actions based off of what you could do with a message, we decided that we need to continue to allow flexibility in this. We need to allow this to scale. Uh, and we designed something that was a bit more custom that had something with these two rows of icons that you can swipe between. Uh, and again, I apologize for the contrast. It looks better when you see it on the phone. Um, but you've got actions that you can still take based upon those messages. And then you've also got these creation options. If you wanted to create a new task, uh, if you wanted to create a doc card, all these things are built into Domo. They're part of our business strategy, and they're important for our users to be able to quickly uh, create. So we created something here that scales a bit better. Uh, of course, you need quick access to emojis because that's really what people want to do. You want to add emojis to messages. Uh, so we designed this, this custom action sheet because at the time, it fits the needs of what we're trying to accomplish. And the trade-offs that we were making in designing this as something custom, it worked. Um, we're also able to take this action sheet and pop it into other places of the app where we've got activities based upon actions. Uh, so it scaled for us really well. Now I'm going to look at this last one here. Um, Adam used to work at Domo, and he knows how awesome this one is. I've showed you a lot of our winning experiences. Now I'm going to show you a failing experience. I shouldn't have said that on record. Um, Flip is something that um, Domo has incorporated into the mobile app for, for years. Uh, what the Flip is, has anybody used Flipboard, the app Flipboard? Right, so when you read an article, you kind of flip between it. It does this custom transition and animation that uh, takes you kind of from screen to screen like you're flipping a paper, right? Um, we wanted to see if there was a way to incorporate that into the Domo app. So I'm kind of showing you for you, those who aren't familiar with it, this is kind of what it does. Uh, you swipe up on it and you go from one card to the next card. Ultimately, just allowing you to go from one you know, information data piece to the next information data piece. It was cool and aesthetic, debatable. Um, and, but really, the trade-offs at the time were something that we, we kind of found ourselves backed into a corner. Uh, from a usability sense, uh, is it discoverable that you can swipe up and down to go to the next card? Not really. Uh, did we find people using it very often? Not really. Here's, the, here's the, the hardest part that we found in justifying keeping Flip in the app. Upkeep. This was such a customized control that every time a new phone came out, a new screen size came out, or a new feature came out inside of Domo that we needed to bake in this Flip animation, it was a pain in the butt. Uh, over the last six months, we went back and calculated how much time and effort it takes to just upkeep this Flip animation, and we found that it's a full-time iOS developer's job to keep up this flip animation. Huge cost associated to this animation. Um, worth it for us? No, it wasn't. Unfortunately, we've been able, Adam, sorry, you weren't here for this. We got rid of it. And uh, it's, it was like the most monumental win on the mobile team. Uh, the developers, I mean, just sang praises because we were able to get rid of this animation that was causing a lot of source of frustration. Uh, even on the design side, we always had to figure out how does this work on the new feature I'm designing. One of the biggest issues is, is if you do this flip animation and there's no scrolling, you're limited to the real estate of the device to pack in everything you need to pack in. So if you got down to, say, you're not on the, a plus device and you're on one of the old SE devices, we now have to pack in everything onto a screen size. It's almost half the size of the iPhone 10. Huge problems on the design side as well. 
Trade-offs. Again, it's important to understand what you're doing so that you don't get packed, backed into a corner uh, that you can't really get yourself out of. Now, where's the designers in the room? Raise your hand if you're a designer. Okay, I'm gonna do a little experience with you guys uh, to help you guys find the application to what you're working on. So let's pretend that you're a designer and you're working for a startup uh, called Let's Explore. Oh, that contrast is great. Um, <laughs> this is the mocks that you've come up with. Let's Explore is an app that you've designed uh, that will help people go on adventures locally, right? Uh, whether it's camping, hiking, backpacking, whatever it may be, this is the design that you've uh, created uh, for this app. Uh, you take these designs and you turn it to your development team and what's their reaction to it? What's that? They're gonna go, how? How do you want us to do this? Uh, we got, uh, you sound like you're familiar with development, right? You're an engineer. What's your reaction to this? Everything on this page is custom. Everything is custom. Looks pretty. I mean, can we knock that? It looks pretty. Sure, debatable. <laughs> but I think from it, yeah. From an aesthetic standpoint, uh, sure, it's original. Um, and there might be pros and cons to that. You might be able to introduce your brand uh, stronger in this design than if you were to do something native. Uh, but what are the trade-offs associated to this? Uh, remind me your name again. Kyler, you, you just mentioned how much longer is it going to take to build this? It's going to take me six months to do these three screens. These three screens alone are going to take you six months. Okay, I'm glad you're in the room because I would have taken a stab at it and probably wouldn't have been way off. Um, could this be done natively? I think it absolutely could have been. Uh, this left navigation, could we have put some of these items that are in here down into a tab bar? Right now we're only utilizing three tabs at the bottom. You've got the app option to put five tabs comfortably in there. Uh, native tab bars will expand to more options if you need it, uh, meaning that you could tap on the fifth one that's a more button, it takes you to another screen, you got a list of, of more options. Uh, but you could have gone with five tabs at the bottom. You could have put your discover at the bottom, your map, notifications, profile, and settings down at the bottom. That would have left you with the opportunity to put a standard header at the top, uh, put the filter icon in the top right, and now you've eliminated two of the biggest custom pieces to this. Um, now what happens when you tap on that filter that's in the top right, you get this drop down menu that's on the far right screen. That too is custom. Could you have stuck everything that's in that far right screen into a view that was just presented from the bottom up? Absolutely. And the trade-offs that you're making for a menu like that, is it worth that? Six months, depending on the company you're at, maybe it is worth it. Uh, maybe it's not worth it. Let me just say, Kyler, right? If your company said this is totally worth our time, uh, we're okay with the fact that this is going to take us six months to get out there, I'm sure your reaction would be something along the lines of, okay, then we'll build it. I mean, I'm sure you'd look at it as a, as a challenge and say, fun, all right. It's going to come with a world of issues, and if the company understands that and gives you the time to work around that, how do you feel about it then? Sure, then we'll give it a go. But you have to understand what comes with something that is custom. There's gonna be bugs, there's gonna be usability issues. Your developers might find themselves not understanding how to even tackle some of these custom controllers. Um, additionally, you know, I, I can't say for sure, but what happens six months down the road when you decide that uh, actually our left navigation isn't completely right, we need to tweak that design a little bit now everything that Kyler's done for the last four months is just tossed out the window and he's gonna start over. Start over on six months of development. Okay, you've got to understand these trade-offs as you get into the design. I'm not saying that you cannot ever do something like this, but understanding the trade-offs will allow you to understand what's at stake in making that decision. What applies to your company from this? So, when you're drawing the line in the sand, uh, this is different from employer to employer, situation to situation. Uh, I, I challenge you to, to seek to understand what the company values, or, or if you're freelance designing, what your client values. Uh, maybe that does outweigh some of these trade-offs. What's the development culture at your company? Because I, I've even seen that over the course of my experience, that sometimes from company to company, some developers like doing things that are custom. And maybe inside of one company, there's some who want to stick to development religion, 
And there's some who are okay with venturing off into some of the unknown. And as a designer, I like to know those things because I want to know who I'm proposing some of these designs to. Um, last thing that I think I could add to this is, you know, how does your company feel about third-party libraries? Uh, there's pros and cons to using third-party libraries to help accomplish some of these custom tasks. Uh, one of the biggest cons that Domo sees to using third-party libraries is upkeep. Uh, what happens when this third-party library doesn't continue to get updated or supported? Now you're left to update and support it on your own. Maybe the trade-off of, again, upkeep isn't worth using third-party libraries. That's the camp that Domo's fallen into. Um, what do we got for time? 12.45. I really want to open this thing up for, oh yeah? Okay, I'm gonna jump through a couple of these uh, pretty quick, or if you guys wanna ask these questions, uh, we can jump into it. There's a handful of things that I do think is important, uh, or I would argue to go custom. Uh, iOS and Android doesn't bake in a whole lot of options for guided experiences. Onboarding people into your app isn't really thought out very well inside of those platforms. So I'm okay with going custom uh, in, those, in those situations. Where will I strive to stay native? There's a couple of things that just, to me, don't make a whole lot of sense to, to do custom. Uh, one of those things, uh, typography, for example. Uh, if you want to load your whole dingbat typeface into the app, it's just gonna increase your app size, right? And what is the payoff for doing something like that? I don't know if it's necessarily worth it. Uh, San Francisco as the iOS font, Roboto or Noto as the Android fonts, they're built for those platforms in specific. They scale for the iPhone, they scale for the Apple Watch, they scale for the Apple TV. Uh, using something native like that just seems to make sense in a lot of those cases. Final rule of thumb. This is, again, my opinion. You can, you can defer from opinion on, on this. I'm all right with that. But don't design an app that is a material design app for iOS. You know, if you're an iOS user, you're an iOS user. If you're an Android user, you're an Android user. Not often are these users switching between phones very often, right? If ever. So what they're on on a daily basis and what they're consuming, they're gonna stick to that. They don't need to see something that doesn't feel like something native to their platform on, a, uh, on their platform. Lastly, this is the piece that I, outside of those trade-offs, this is the piece that I want you guys to really take away. Uh, what you can walk away from today and, and take home and, and study a little bit further uh, is getting yourself familiar with the human interface guidelines of both iOS and Android. Uh, they've gotten better over the course of the years, um, but getting familiar with them I think is a benefit to you. Recognizing that they're just guidelines doesn't necessarily mean it's something you have to stick to verbatim. Understand your development team, understand what their needs and their desires are. Uh, it's not the only opinion, but it is an opinion that matters. And then lastly, when it's time to go custom, Design something in, in the framework sense. Design something that uh, you can see how it can be scaled, reused, uh, reutilized in, in that aspect. Um, again, whose design is it anyway? If it's the designer's design, uh, then the business could be losing, the developers could be losing. If it's the developer's design, then maybe the end user is losing or the business is losing, right? It's gotta be a hybrid blend of all these things and all these needs need to be understood in order to make a good end product. Uh, with that, I'll close, thank you guys. Questions. questions? Yeah? Yeah, you want to take a few questions? Yeah, I'd love to take questions. So, um, I come from a little bit different world outside of design. Um, I briefly mentioned to you that my background is SEO. So, this might be a little out of your scope if you can pass on it. So, when you consider native versus custom, is there any consideration from the marketing side of things about which one can price better on the app market or anywhere else? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. And I actually, uh, this is where I found a benefit to me coming from my marketing background um, is understanding business needs in general. I think a lot of people, a lot of designers kind of get stuck in the, this idea of uh, design is the only thing that matters. Uh, but ultimately, business has got business goals and there needs to be a marriage between the two. Uh, that's where designers with you know, empathy succeed because you can understand what is the business truly trying to achieve and how can you help assist in that achievement. Um, understanding business needs is how I'd respond to the question here. Uh, whether it's native or custom, uh, I think you still understand the trade-offs back and forth, but um, ultimately just understanding what the business is trying to accomplish is, is what's, what's gonna be a benefit.
I have a question here. Um, So you had talked about don't um, design a material app for iOS. Um, can you dive into that a little bit more? Uh, what you mean? How do you how do you balance the trade-off between spending a ton of time designing two totally different apps mm -hmm. um, and getting the same experience across both those apps? How do you balance that? Yeah, for the sake of time, let me uh, just give you a, a very specific example. Uh, an Android button, a material design button, let's say it's one of the uh, raised buttons, right? It's got a cool drop shadow to it. It's got a certain you know, corner radius on the button. Is that brand or is that material? I think more often than not, the brand is just in your call to action color. Uh, but the aesthetic that that button has to take, I don't believe needs to be a part of brand. So one of the things I wish I could have shown you is uh, our sketch library of components and tools. We've got our Android components right next to our iOS components. And they take a similar look, but they still feel native to the platform. For example, our call to action on Domo uh, is an orange color. And we use that same orange color in both buttons. But on Android, the floating action button looks like a floating action button. The raise button looks like a raise button. On iOS, uh, we stick to something that feels more like an iOS button. Over here. And then Aaron, I can jump down to you. So as things like React and um, you know, Angular and a lot of these frameworks add more and more native looking, native feeling functionality, how long do you see there being a future of truly native experiences versus going to those type of technologies? See, I'm. What's that? See, I'm completely biased in the answer to this question because, like I said, I like native. And from the research that I've done, people like native. Um, you can, it's easy for you to open up an app and, and feel when it's not native, a native experience. Let's say you've tapped on an item and now you're swiping to go back. You know, does that swipe follow your thumb like it does on iOS? Or does it jump ahead because it's not quite an iOS app, right? There's, there's some of these things in this experience that, you can just feel when it's not native. Um, but like I said, I, in the future, do, do these tools like React, for example, continue to feel more and more like something native? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Facebook, for example, I would venture to guess is primarily built with React at this point. But if you're using Facebook on the iOS platform, it feels pretty native at this point. Uh, so I don't think it's too far down the road that maybe they do take their own aesthetic. I, I don't know, though. Again, I don't think any Android developer is going to want to get put out of a job. I don't think iOS developers are going to want to get put out of jobs. Uh, maybe they're going to start to learn how to develop it within these frameworks. But I still think there's, there's room for something that is native to the platform you're on. Aaron had a question here. Probably loud enough. Um, so how do you make a decision if you're pushing apps through the native app stores, but you also have a web component, a web app? Yeah. What decisions do you make there? How do you guide that strategy going forward? Yeah. A similar experience across all of them. Do you tie in material items? Do you tie in iOS items? Yeah, that's a good question. And this, again, I would allow people to tackle situation by situation. Um, how was Domo made the, the contrast between the two? Our web app feels like a material app uh, for the most part. Uh, the button styles that they've gone after feel fairly material. Um, not, not pixel for pixel, but they feel pretty material. Uh, but again, if you're looking at our sketch libraries of components, we've got a web component library, we've got an Android component library, and we've got an iOS component library. Uh, the web and Android feel fairly similar. There's some components that we can reuse between the two. Um, but that's kind of how we've seen it. I think Material's a great aesthetic for the web. So you know, I'm OK with that taking prevalence on the, on the web experience. One more question? Cool. We had another hand. I saw another hand over here, I thought. We got one in your core. Cool. So I'm pretty curious if you guys do it at Domo. So how does the whole process work out? Does, like, let's say you have a customer. Let's say you have a customer that wants a feature and you guys commit to it. Like, right, it's still the same. You work in tandem with, like, the web, like, the desktop team, whatever you guys call it there, like, to figure out, does this need to be portable, mobile, or how does that process work if you can share it? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Uh, Domo's been around for a while. Uh, five, six years. Um, and primarily what they've been building over the course of the years is their web experience. So they've got different feature teams. 
six, eight different feature teams uh, that are designing the web experience. But Domo's really doubled down on their mobile effort over the last year. Um, and what's happening at this point in time is those designers who are on those teams are learning to design the mobile experience first. Uh, Domo is really designed for the C-suite level. They're designed for the executives. And it's powered by everyone else at the company. But our executives aren't sitting at a desktop. Uh, they're on their phone. So that helps drive the conversation to uh, start with mobile first. Uh, what does this feature... Has anyone read the book, Don't Make Me Think? Right? You should, you should be familiar with that. Um, if we were to dumb down this feature to something that... I shouldn't say dumb down. That's not probably the right word. But pare it down to something that is bite-sized and could have been done on the phone by an executive. Uh, how does that then translate to the web experience? Sometimes we have some differentiation between the two. Uh, again, I said it's Domo's powered by the rest of the employees at Domo, and they are in front of a desktop. So what do we need to give those employees in order to build the experience that the executives are consuming from their phone? That's typically how we differentiate the two. Um, but ultimately, starting with the mobile, mobile first is so, it's such a coined term at this point in time, but... Uh, Starting there in order to understand the scope of what you're building has been a benefit. Yeah. When you say design mobile first, do you mean in an app, in a native app, or, or on the web? Uh, in the native app at this point, yeah. We have a mobile web version of Domo, uh, but at this point in time, we've really tried to push people to download either the native iOS or Android app uh, just because we've got bigger teams that support the native apps, uh, and the mobile web component just can't keep up with uh, how fast they're moving on the native platforms. Most of our designers, I mean, we've got a handful of designers that are Android users, and they like starting Android you know, native design first, uh, and then they come back and do the iOS version of it. We've got more designers at Domo who are iOS users, and they start in the iOS format, and then do the Android version second. One of the challenges is like responsive, responsive web. I'm in the web, we don't have an but that mobile first thing is sort of been a point term at this point. Mm -hmm. um, how would you consider that? I mean, coming from kind of more of this app direction, or, are they one of the same, do you think, in your mind? Like, you could make mobile first? The mobile... Like, doing a native mobile app, web version? Web, yeah, your web app. Do you kind of, like, look at them the same, or you still treat them differently? I still treat them differently. Um, you've got so many more options to use native native controls when you build something that's native. It feels faster. It feels smoother. Uh, I just think you've got more control when you go native. Um, you know, some of the developers in the room, they might feel the same way, right? Uh, mobile web experiences can suffice for the time being. I mean, there's been plenty of times, for example, at adoption.com, our mobile experience was a web app. Uh, but it just felt slower. It felt clunkier. Um, it just wasn't as smooth as something that was native. All right. Is that it? Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you.